From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, November 17th. For decades, Jim Mattingly has carefully stored boxes and boxes and boxes of VHS tapes. He has hundreds of them. This was at the beginning. This is when the you yeah. know, the VCRs first came out and you could go down to a store and rent a tape. You know, that, that was that at the very beginning. Mattingly is now a semi-retired videographer. He's done plenty of high-end digital work over his career, from commercials to music videos, big national and even international stuff. But it's these analog tapes in his closet that tell a compelling story. The story of Moab at a time of incredible transition. We had a problem in the spring when we had the big influx of uh, the fat tar bicycle people. I can see that coming again in the fall. Grand County Commission Chair Merv Lawton in 1989 on tape. Mattingly says he interviewed Lawton at the very start of the the, uh, mountain biking and this was the issues they had to deal with. All of a sudden here's all these people camping and and, uh, up and down the river and everywhere else in the world. And there's no facilities. Okay, so you're going to address this at your next county commission meeting? It wasn't on the agenda, but uh, it has to be a decision that is made by the county commission. The other aspect is that the bicyclists and campers themselves could come along and find the place very unattractive because of that. And then will they come back? If they don't come back, then all the effort and money that People like the Travel Council and the Film Commission have spent on bringing people in has gone to naught. This was Moab's Channel 6 News, a local cable news program that first began in the 1950s, one of the oldest in the nation. Throughout the years, it was helmed by some truly notable characters. Dee Tranter was the owner, operator, reporter, and anchor in the 1980s when he asked a young Mattingly, Do you want to take this over? And I says, what? He says, you want to take over the news? And I go, well, I don't know, Dee. I said, I don't have any money or anything. You know, I can't, can't afford to buy it. He goes, I'll, I'll just give it to you. And, and by giving it to me, it consisted of, of, of a desk and a file cabinet. So it wasn't, it wasn't all that much, you know? <laughs> and I, I says, okay, I will. But Mattingly had a few conditions. I said, well, I'm not going to go on camera, not with this face. I says, I'm not going to do it. I says, will you still be the anchor? He says, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come in and once a day, and you have it ready for me. And, I'll, and I, I says, okay. But if we do that, it's not going to be live anymore. It's going to be on tape. Going to tape is the reason Moab now has this incredible archive. Welcome to our TV6 News Report. I'm Dee Tranter with a roundup of news of interest to Moab in the Canyonlands area. Take a quick look at the weather forecast. Museum collections, we have a lot of photos, and we have oral histories, so we have audio, and we have a lot of written records, but what we don't have a lot of is film. Tara Barish is the curatorial and collections manager at the Moa Museum. Utah's Historical Records Advisory Board awarded the museum a grant to digitize the Channel 6 News. Film allows an audience to see for themselves all of the nuance and the things that are really pertinent to history and the historical record um, that you, you can't misconstrue it as easily. It's right there. Moab Museum staff call the Channel 6 news tapes, which span the period from 1989 to the year 2000, an invaluable record of firsthand accounts of how Moab became the tourism destination it is today. So I think this is an excellent opportunity to preserve 
that. It's a piece of history. It's a piece of time that um, predates the big boom. The museum estimates digitization will preserve over 2,000 news broadcasts. And so we want to see who were the people here then and how were they living their lives and what was changing and how were they experiencing those changes. All taken by Moab Chamber of Commerce regarding that Bookcliff Road have been uh, announced. The area has, of course, drawn some controversy and considerable interest in our area. That's Channel 6 News anchor Dee Tranter again, giving the latest on the prospective Bookcliffs Highway from Moab to Vernal, a subject that still draws controversy to this day. A few of the comments made by the business community range from too many unanswered questions, not worth the cost, to others stating that the road would open up mineral development and establish a community interest between Moab and Vernal. Well, that's still going on. Still going I mean, on. They, they keep yeah. dragging it back up. This was 1989. Yeah, yeah. That's wild. It is. Oh, this is a commercial. Round trip to Web to Salt Lake is truly affordable. Alpine Air also offers air taxi charter flights and air... Mattingly Lee says local advertising supported the channel. While he didn't go broke, he says he pretty much broke even. It was tough at times. And he still waxes on about the people and businesses who really supported the news effort. Yeah, and I slowly picked up sponsors. I mean, it started out, and i got to say, John Fogg, who was had the insurance company, he supported Channel 6 News like nobody else. Hi, I'm John Fogg, your local independent insurance agent. Just look at what we can do for you. Moab's Channel 6 News aired three times a day. The new broadcast came out in the evening, and then there were two rebroadcasts the next day. And when the news wasn't on, you could still flip to the channel for information. It, it was called a roller. What it was, was was like a print ad. The roller usually had a few business advertisements and the weather. Mattingly remembers improvising when the roller stopped working for a time. So we go, what are we going to do now? And so I got a goldfish and put a camera, and then I hand wrote a little sign that says Channel 6 News with the time on it, and then had the goldfish on there. And that was it. People kind of enjoyed it, except I did get some complaints. Two or three people called me up and said, you never feed that fish. I said, well, I I do feed it because it's still alive. (laughs) Mattingly can get a little sheepish when it comes to the production value of the Channel 6 News. The anchor is seated at a desk in a simple talking head format, and the early cutaways to commercials or field interviews can make him visibly cringe sometimes. I mean, I was just learning. I didn't know what I was doing. And the technology was primitive at that time. But the one thing he's absolutely not sheepish about, it's influence. Channel 6 was responsible, I, well, I know it was, uh, responsible for the change of government back in the early 90s because People saw what was going on, and they said, we can't do this. we got to change this. That's because Channel 6 News started showing up to local government meetings, even after the county commission conspicuously changed the meeting time. They would have their county commission meetings, usually on Monday or Tuesday nights, around 6 or 8, whatever it was. Well, they started doing some really interesting stuff, I'll put it that way. Politics, says Mattingly, has always been a blood sport in Moab. And so what they did, they changed their county commission meetings to Monday morning at 9 o'clock. Well, nobody can show up. Everybody's going to go to work at Monday morning at 9 o'clock. Well, we showed up. And they kept showing up. Channel 6 provided a visual record of those meetings and the hot-button issues of the day. 
Mattingly says this helped motivate residents to change the form of county government from a three-member commission to a seven-member council. In addition to local government, Channel 6 was covering cops and courts, community affairs, high school sports, and upcoming events. We'll go ahead and bring her up. Thanks for saying hi. That's Christy. Oh yep. my gosh. Oh, she's talking about the fair. 4-H style review. General entries are Thursday, August 24th from 5 to 8 p.m. I would say that because there is a digitized record of my history, I just think it's a, a humble thing, a beautiful thing. Christy Williams-Dunton, who went on to do a lot of things, including growing this very radio station. But back when she worked for Channel 6, she was just out of communication school. I am sure that I felt some um, pride at having made the big time of being TV. <laughs> um, it still tickles me because it's so low-fi, so analog um, for television and so small of a market. Yeah, small-town journalism is its own animal. And so the fact that we have a television station, yeah, I'm tickled by it to be part of its history. That's so fun. Did you choose the pattern yourself? Mm-hmm. Now, this is In this tape, Williams Dunton interviews local students on their homemade clothing. Students about to participate in a 4-H fashion show. Oh, it's just really pretty. And did you make the blouse as well? No, I bought that. <laughs> See, that's, that's my speed. Just buy it off the rack. It's so much easier that way. I asked Williams Dunton how she feels about getting immortalized in the Channel 6 news archives. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I can't make any excuses for the, the fashion of the 80s. I looked at a picture the other day, and I was like, wow, okay. The sleeves are very puffy. They're very puffy. So my mention the Colorado River was running very thick and muddy and a lot of debris from forest fires. And I tell you, the, the, it's so funny to sit here and watch these old, this was 1989. A lot of black burned material into the river. It's amazing to all involved that Channel 6 News existed here in tiny Moab. And for so long, Mattingly eventually sold to Emory Telcom in the year 2000. He was tired, wanted to change, and sincerely hoped it would continue. But it no longer had the right combination of factors. It takes a lot of work. It takes money. And you got to have the right kind of people to do it. The media landscape is so different now. Moab doesn't have its own local television news channel anymore, but the town does have these archives. Mattingly is the one carefully digitizing them in real time. He estimates the first round of tapes will take several months. There's like six programs on two-hour tape. I can put a tape in and start it, and then, well, like, I, you know, today I went out and I took a walk. That's the downside. <laughs> Real time, it's like, oh, I hope I live that long. Digitizing the Channel 6 News will be a labor of love. And when it's all done, the Moab Museum plans to make the archive easily available online. So the community will forever have this visual record of a seminal period in Moab history. That's news for today, news of our Moab and Kenyan lands country. We hope you enjoy a good day. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. Amendments to the high-density housing overlay ordinance were recently approved by the county commission. Gwen Dilworth of the Times Independent speaks with Emily Arnson about changes to the workforce housing plan. The high-density housing overlay, that is a density overlay that allows for really high-density housing for local workforce. And um, it was approved by the county in 2019. 
Um, it's been a longstanding debate over whether the ordinance, the original ordinance, restricted both ownership and occupancy or just occupancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking about local workforce housing and also previously they were wondering whether that housing should be owned by local workforce also, correct? Exactly. Yeah. And in 2021, a hearing officer ruled that the owner also had to be local workforce. Um, But it was kind of a misunderstanding with some developers who didn't really understand the ordinance that way when they first embarked on their projects. Um, So these new amendments will kind of turn back the clock on those by um, creating an exemption for owners of multifamily apartment buildings. Okay, so is that sort of retroactively allowing these developers who aren't local workforce to continue owning these properties? Or is that also enabling future developers who are not local workforce? Yeah, it will both allow people who have already kind of started these projects, but we're going to have to, um, you know, figure out a workaround Mm -hmm. to keep moving and also for other projects to come online. Okay. So this benefits local workforce who need housing, but it's still also... Uh, benefits the developers who are maybe from out of town or out of state. Um, Has there been any controversy about this decision? Yeah, I think county commissioners um, were generally in favor of allowing apartment owners um, to not qualify as local workforce, but there was um, a pretty contentious debate over condominiums. Um, So condominiums were not included in that exemption. So if you um, have a condominium development, they have to both be owned and occupied by local workforce. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Why? Yeah, county commissioners were very split on the issue. Some felt like it was a way um, allowing cond- or out- allowing developers to own condominiums but not live in them would have been a way to get people into housing faster um, because it is expensive to own a condominium or an apartment complex or whatever. Um, but others felt like it was a way for people to profit off of local workforce and for outside investors to come into Moab and, um, you know, profit off of these people that, um, the program was intended to help. Okay. Did you talk to anyone else, any of the developers or any other people involved in this? Yeah, I did speak with, um, the developer of Murphy Flats. Um, that's the only HGHO condominium development, Um, And they were obviously disappointed by the choice not to exempt condominiums, which would have allowed them to sell these units a lot faster. Um, But they were excited about the other changes that the amendments made. So there were several other changes. Um, Everyone in the 84532 zip code, not just people in Grand County, will be eligible. So that will include folks in Spanish Valley who are part of the local workforce but don't fall inside Grand County. Um, And it also creates a path for self-employed individuals to qualify as local workforce. Cool. Okay. Is there anything else you wanted to tell me about that? That's all I have on that one. Okay. So moving on to some other local (laughs) drama, the chip seal on Mill Creek Drive. If you bike at all, maybe you've noticed that there's just loose gravel for a whole stretch of this road. Uh, What happened? Yeah. The city applied chip seal, which is um, kind of like a resurfacing process that uses gravel adhered to oil um, to resurface the road at the end of October. Um, One problem with the chip seal is that temperatures can't drop below 50 degrees. And when they started the project, it was 70 degrees out. But by the end, it was that we had hit kind of that cold spell at the end of October. 
and the chip seal didn't adhere properly to the ground, which created all those piles of gravel that you may have seen on oh Mill Creek. Um, and unfortunately, there was actually someone was injured biking um, last week, um, which has kind of raised a lot of concern about um, what's next for the chip seal. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So did you talk to anyone that works for the city? Doug McBurdo reported the okay. story and he did speak with the city about the issue. Um, they said that they have been working overtime to remove all this excess gravel that was left. The they haven't bike- been working that overtime. <laughs> it's been like weeks. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's definitely some gravel left. Um, but uh, the bike lane will be closed until June. Um, you may have seen signs all the way down Mill Creek pointing out that the bike lane is closed. Um, but June is the soonest that the contractor can oh return. And I, I imagine that the temperatures will be high then and it will it will work that time (laughs) yeah okay um so other than sort of brushing the loose gravel to the side is there any other way to solve this problem not that i'm aware of i think this one will have to wait until june oh my god um (laughs) what else happened this week that you want to tell us about yeah our last story is just about um the covid boosters they were um, recommended by the cdc for everybody six months and older Um, However, the federal government is not paying for these vaccines this year. This is the first year that they've been commercialized. Um, And while most insurance will cover the vaccine at 100%, if you're uninsured, you'll have to pay out of pocket for these vaccines. Um, And I did speak to some pharmacists. The vaccine here in Moab ranges from $140 to $180 out of pocket. Um, And I also had a chance to speak to somebody from the Utah Department of Health who pointed out that there's a program called the Bridge Access Program that will help folks pay for that um, vaccine if they're uninsured. Unfortunately, the closest location to Moab is Fruta, which is about 60 miles away, um, which could be a barrier for folks trying to get that vaccine. Yeah. Um, Where can people get the vaccine in town now? They can get the vaccine at Walker Drug or City Market. Um, And there's um, actually a federal website called vaccines.gov that has a map of where vaccines are available. So you can keep an eye on that for the most updated information. Yeah. Does the free health clinic offer vaccines? The free health clinic does not offer vaccines, I was told. Yeah. Okay. Can you also get them at the hospital? You can get them at the hospital. They are more expensive at the hospital because they're um, ordering much smaller quantities. Mm. However, um, Jen Sadoff, the CEO of the hospital, did tell me about the financial assistance program there which is worth applying to if you're somebody who isn't eligible for Medicaid, but still might have trouble paying for the vaccine. Flu and RSV vaccines are also available in town, and flu vaccines are $25 at the hospital. Um, RSV vaccines are a little bit more expensive, and those are for elderly folks. Gwen Dilworth, reporter with The Times Independent. Find more stories at moabtimes.com. The timed entry program at Arches National Park just wrapped up its second season. Allison Harford of the Moab Sun News tells Emily Arnson how this year compared to last. People will remember that in 2022, following this huge uptick in visitation at Arches, the park implemented a timed entry system. Um, So that meant that anyone who wanted to visit the park from April to October from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. would need to have a reservation to be able to get in. Okay, so this is the second time they've done this program. Um, How did it go this time compared to last time? 
Yeah, so in 2023, there were new times. Um, It was switched to 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. instead of 8 to 5. And it also went all the way through October. So last year, the timed entry pilot ended in the beginning of October. And this year, it was at the end because um, last year, the park found that they had to close the gates a couple of times Mm -hmm. in October because they were just reaching capacity. So this system is intended to reduce congestion in the park and also guarantee that everybody can get in. So like when the gates close, obviously people won't be able to get into the park and sometimes people would have to be like turned away if the park was at capacity. But this way, if you have a reservation, it's guaranteed that you will get into the park at some point. A lot of people during these peak times still had to wait in a pretty long line right outside of the gates. Were people generally happy with the way that this panned out, like even though there were still sometimes pretty long lines? Yeah, generally um, feedback has been pretty positive. So the park has talked about this a couple different times. Um, when they said that the pilot is going to continue in 2024, they were talking to the city council and the county commission about it. Um But previously, they've said that in general, people are leaving positive reviews. People are saying that it's really nice to be in the park when less um, people are in there. It was a little bit controversial in the past. Um, A lot of businesses in town have said that maybe the timed entry system will cause less people to travel to Moab. Um, But so far, we haven't really found that. And in general... Um, according to the park, people who don't get a reservation on the time and day that they want, they'll either go to other public lands in the area or they'll try to go to Canyonlands or something. Mm-hmm. It doesn't like it doesn't just end their day. Okay. Uh, did the park or does the city have any information on how many people have traveled to Arches this year or with the timed entry program versus before the timed entry program to compare and just sort of like tell businesses whether or not that's actually happening? Yeah, so the end of year visitation hasn't come out for this year yet, but we saw the most visitation arches during 2020 and 2021. Those years when you're looking at data kind of across the board are really bizarre in Moab. um, And that's kind of like a weird year to compare tourism stats to because obviously there was the pandemic. And so there was this huge, huge uptick in people doing road trips and visiting Moab because you could come be outside. Um, And so we have seen like this drop off in visitation, but that doesn't really mean anything when you're looking at 2021 and 2020. It's more like we should try to compare numbers with 2019. Mm -hmm. Is that something that they've done? Yeah, that is something that they're doing. Um, But it's also mostly like they're basing how many reservations they have on parking space and things like that, rather than like, how can we shove the most people into the park without it seeming too crazy? But yeah, there are a lot of different ways that people can get reservations. So reservations will open a couple months early and then they'll also release a whole nother batch of times um, Mm -hmm. the night before if people like miss out on the months early reservation. So is this going to start again in 2024? Do they know when in 2024? Yeah so they said that time slots will look pretty similar to those in 2023 so it'll likely be April to October and probably still 7 a.m to 4 p.m. Okay. And this is still being called a pilot program. Do you know why? Yeah. So um, Brandon Bray, who is the 
acting superintendent for the Southeast Utah Group of National Parks. He was talking about this at the city council meeting on Tuesday, um, and he said that it's still being called a pilot system because if the timed entry system were to become permanent, the park would have to go through a NEPA process. Um, So it's unclear how much longer they can call it a pilot without establishing it as a permanent system. Okay. Okay, cool. What else happened this week that you want to tell us about? Yeah, so um, one of our freelancers wrote a kind of um, review of this event that would happen every spring and fall called Women's Wall Street Wednesdays. And this is a local women's climbing group that um, gathers at Wall Street, the climbing crag, every Wednesday. Nice. What do they do in this meeting every Wednesday? Yeah, so mostly it's just a spot for women to come together and climb with each other. So it was started by these local climbers who wanted to climb around other women and kind of like tip the gender scale in the climbing community. And so um, people who are familiar with climbing kind of know that sometimes it can feel like a very masculine, like bro-y sport. But creating this safe space for women really allows people to open up and like feel like they can make mistakes. Um, And then also they're teaching people how to climb too. So they do ask that people like know the basics and kind of know the way around a rope, but it's also a place to um, come and climb without the fear of failure. Cool. So is it open to anyone? Well, any, any woman? Yeah. <laughs> uh, is this like a free program also? It's just open to anyone? Yeah, definitely free. Um, yeah. So it started in fall 2020 and then it grew in size through word of mouth and through the Moab Rock Climbers Facebook group. Um, it's super informal. It's free. It just would take place like every Wednesday night. The last official event of this year happened last Wednesday, but it'll pick back up in the spring. Nice. Okay, great. Do you want to talk about some other things that are coming up? Next week, we have Cranksgiving. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah, definitely. On Saturday, this annual event called Cranksgiving will take place. So um, this is an annual charitable bike race organized by Evan Smiley, um, who is the organizer behind Moab Community Cycles. And this is um, an alley cat style race, which means that it's kind of a race. It's kind of a scavenger hunt. It's very informal um, and it takes place in an urban area. Does anyone know the route? So that's part of the fun of it. For this race, participants will navigate through a bunch of checkpoints across the city, completing tasks and challenges. But kind of the point is that they'll be running around buying food that will then um, be donated to the Moab Valley Multicultural Center. Oh, nice. So when is it and how can people sign up? Yeah, so it's on November 19th. There's no official sign up. Just show up at Swanee Park at 10.30 a.m. Great. And then finally, the city announced its city parks plan. Uh, yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so um, we have a bunch of parks and recreation areas throughout the city of Moab, but we've actually never had a master plan for any of those parks. And so... Um, Master plans kind of like organize a survey and organize open houses to talk to people and see what they imagine the future of like certain city departments to look like. And so the parks plan will act as a 10 year guide and will kind of establish like what projects the city should work on and where parks can improve. And Mm -hmm. all of that is based on community input. Okay. What are some of the biggest things that need to be improved in the city parks? 
Yeah, so um, this was also discussed at the Tuesday City Council meeting. And so the key project recommendations um, after pulling together all the survey data include upgrades to Swanee Park, especially concerning the skate park and playground and the picnic shelters, because most of the people who um, responded said that they use Swanee Park the most. And that's also a place where we have like really beloved community events like um, the market and like free concert series. And then other projects included a redesign for the Center Street ballparks to improve field amenities and add more varied recreation options. Also, this consultant who they hired said that a lot of people wanted a splash pad somewhere in town. Okay, what is a splash pad? A splash pad is like kind of a concrete circle, but then there's like a water feature in the middle. <laughs> for, sometimes for there's water underneath. Getting yeah. That. Okay. yeah, that's always where you see like little kids yeah. running around. Okay. He also found that a lot of people wanted more pickleball courts in the city. Whoa. Yeah. We're opening that can of worms again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mic drop pickleball courts. Yeah. He didn't really say anything else okay. about it. <laughs> anything else about city parks? A big giant thing that they found is that ADA compliance across many parks in the city ranked as poor. So they'll probably try to start with that and improve ADA compliance and then move on to some of these bigger projects. Something else that I thought was interesting that the plan mentioned is that surveys found that upgrades to the Center Street gym are needed, but they're also pretty cost prohibitive due to asbestos. No. Yeah. And oh, then God. they didn't really mention anything else about the asbestos. Asbestos is kind of fine. It's in a lot of buildings until you try to tear it down. Yeah. So if we ever wanted a bigger gym, which people are saying we need, mm-hmm. um, especially for children's sports like indoor basketball, um, the city would need to figure out a way to safely tear that building down. Allison Hartford, reporter with the Moab Sun News. Find more stories at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes on our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.